Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of Fixin' the Talk Sports. I am your host, Ryan Brown. You can probably guess who I've got with me this week. He's been a recurring guest on the show. That'd be the one and only Lil Mike. Mike Ayula, how are we doing? Ryan, we are fantastic on this Tuesday night. How are you? Ah, you know, uh, as we discussed uh, before we hit the record button, uh, I've felt a little bit better. Uh, not going to lie. Booster shot starting to kick in. Uh, but uh, that that's a, that's a discussion for another time. We are here to talk college hoops yet again. I know before the college hoops season started off uh, in early November, me and you sat down and discussed how we thought about Duke, North Carolina, how we thought uh, some players and some teams in particular um, might do this year. Uh, and with the conference slate having just gotten started and the new year upon us, I think it's high time that we get back into it and sort of talk about what has taken place so far in the 2021-2022 season. So I've, I don't know if this has been a, uh, just a uh, this season thing or not, but I feel like we've gotten spoiled with, very, with so many matchups between highly ranked teams then this, this list kind of blows my mind, and I'm going to go through it with you. So bear with me. Right off the bat, you get a battle of top 10 teams between Duke and Kentucky. Number, I think it was number nine versus number 10 or six versus 10, whatever it was. And Duke ended up coming out on top. Shout out, Duke. Uh, but from there, I mean, the list goes on. Number two, UCLA versus number four, Villanova. That game went into overtime on November the 12th. That one was a barn burner. Then Gonzaga got their first crack at a highly ranked team. As number one, they played number five, Texas, and they smoked them. Drew Timmy dropping a season high at the time, 37 points, and absolutely dismantled the Longhorns. Then Villanova got another high uh, opportune matchup, this time playing then number six, Purdue Boilermakers, in the Cheez-It Hall of Fame tip-off. And Purdue gets a win over Nova. So another loss in a high-profile matchup for the Wildcats. Not too long after that, Gonzaga, again, high-profile game. This time, number one versus number two. They played the UCLA Bruins, and man, Gonzaga cooked them, like, start to finish. It was not even close. In what was probably the game of the year so far, this one wasn't as highly ranked of a matchup, but I feel it's worth mentioning because of just how incredible the game was. Down at the Battle for Atlantis holiday tournament, you had number 19 Auburn go down to number 22 UConn in a double OT thriller. It was something on the order of like 118, 115, just buckets on buckets on buckets. Uh, I think that's probably the game of the year so far. Uh, And in that very tournament, Baylor went on to win the whole dang thing. And they were number six at the time. Stay with me. Not not to be uh, denied, you had another matchup featuring Gonzaga. This time, they're playing Alabama, who was 16 at the time. Alabama gets the best of Gonzaga. And I haven't even mentioned the matchup between Duke and Gonzaga yet. Guess who won that one? Your boys, 
Duke. And so Gonzaga already has two losses in high-profile matchups, but they have three very impressive wins nonetheless. Uh, You've also had the first big conference matchup already go down on New Year's Day. You had Baylor, who is now the number one ranked team in the country, beating an Iowa State team who was picked to finish last in the Big 12, yet they were number eight in the rankings and undefeated at the time. With both teams being undefeated, it actually was only the fifth ever battle of 12 and 0 teams or better at, in the in NCAA history, which blew my mind. Uh, Iowa State, meanwhile, they've really burst onto the scene. Uh, they came, they played in the preseason NIT tournament. And they scored a pair of upset wins over Xavier and Memphis, who were both ranked at the time, and that sort of propelled them to where they are now. And uh, I think. I think the another thing that's starting to pop up are good old buddy old pal COVID starting to cause some serious disruptions. Over 190 games, Mike, have been canceled or postponed. I know that was a mouthful, but with all these ranked versus ranked matchups that we've been spoiled with so far, what teams, what players, like what what stood out to you so far this season? Well, among the things that have stood out, uh, I guess I'll start with COVID um, because like you said, it's back in full force. It seems like it's not just college basketball, every sport's being affected by this, but in particular, you know, a lot of guys were given the extra year this year because of all the cancellations last year and no fans in the stands and everything that COVID had an impact on last year. And people probably thought, oh, you know, it'll be this year and then it'll go away. And for a while, it looked like that. Now, um, the Amon Ra, Rich Homie Quants variant, um, is taking over the world again. And, uh, you know, it's just affecting life and it's affecting college basketball. And like you said, we're seeing a ton of cancellations. I think UCLA and UCLA was supposed to play Arizona already. Um, That game got canceled. That's probably the most notable one off the top of my head, but there are obviously several others, like you said, over 190 that haven't been played that were supposed to be. So it, it, it is running rampant. Um, as for what we've seen on the court, a team that stood out to me um, is Alabama. Uh, and for a few reasons, you know, when you go in and, you know, you beat number one Gonzaga, it's one thing for Duke to do that with Paolo Benchero, who looks like the best freshman in the country with Mike Shitsky as the head coach. You know, that's, that's not really that surprising. For Alabama basketball to go in and do that is a completely different story. And I'm fairly certain they won that game by double digits. Wasn't it like 93 to 82 or something like that? Yeah, they pulled away at the end. Like it was, I know that it was kind of close at times, but the uh, the final score did, uh, uh, looks like the final score was 91 82, but the game was never towards, especially towards the end. Like Alabama pulled away. Yeah, they, they completely dominated Gonzaga. I mean, it's Gonzaga is known for its offense, but to give up 93 points is that, that's a lot in a regulation game. Um, so that's impressive. And then they uh, they beat number 12 Houston in a one-point thriller at Alabama about a month ago. Uh, so a couple of very quality wins there for the Crimson Tide, looking like potential favorites in the SEC, not just in football, um, which we do talk about on here plenty. We've talked about the Alabama football team quite a bit, but in basketball too. Uh, another team that stood out, USC. They haven't lost a game. They're seventh in the country right now. <laughs> like they're... They're not, they weren't supposed to be this good this year. They're one of only, what, three undefeated teams in the top 25? 
yes. to being Baylor, who's the defending national champion, and Colorado State, who's ranked 20th and has, I'm assuming, because I haven't followed Colorado State that closely, but I'm assuming they play just about no one. Yeah, you'd be uh, you'd be correct in in that as- assumption. Uh, their biggest win on the season would be probably a home win over St. Mary's. Yeah, so like that's decent, but that doesn't really count for much. It's you know, so they're really one of the only they're one of only two pa- true Power Five dominant ranked teams in the entire country. It takes a lot to get there. I believe uh, Isaiah Mobley, Evan Mobley's brother, is still at USC. Correct. Um, if I'm correct, uh, he's one of the key players for that program. And um, ever since they kind of rode that six seed to the Elite Eight a couple of years ago, they've kind of they've kind of put themselves back on the map as a, as a potential you know power basketball program. You kind of expect it from UCLA. You kind of expect it from Arizona, but you don't really expect it from Southern California. That's always that's always been a football school too, and they're kind of they're kind of jumping into the mix as a surprise here. And uh, my final one, I mean, you kind of had to know it was coming, even though they're not playing great tonight. My Providence Friars, 13 and <laughs> one, 16th in the country coming into this week. Best start in school history, basically. Like it's, I, they have never, ever been this good. It's, it's a team that starts five seniors every single night. It's got loads of experience, good coaching by Ed Cooley, unselfish players, guys who are willing to do the dirty work and, you know, make the unselfish plays. And given they're probably going to be 13 and two after tonight because they're down 20 at halftime to make that, <laughs> which is not ideal. Um, as we speak, but you know what? It's, it's still an incredible start and it probably wouldn't be enough to get them out of the rankings. Um, you know, it's, it, it's impressive what this team has done to start the year. Um, and the fact that they're three and O in big East play as well, probably going to be three and one, but for now, three and O in big East play, uh, that speaks volumes to the talent they have, the commitment they have to playing well on the floor and the, the group of guys that they have in the locker room. Yeah, to go back to your USC point, uh, they definitely have kind of burst onto the scene and their placement in the polls definitely uh, is reflective of that. But if you look at their schedule too, like we did with Colorado State, they haven't played anyone either, Mike. They Their best win might be San Diego State. And San Diego State has been a, a tournament mainstay for many years, but uh, this year they're kind of out of the limelight, uh, not in the rankings. Uh, so, uh, USC really hasn't had a spotlight feature game. They were supposed to play Arizona. Uh, one of the big PAC 12 marquee games that got canceled within the past week, uh, because of us USC's, uh, COVID issues. Uh, same thing with Colorado state. They haven't played in almost a month. Uh, their, their game tonight is the first game they've played in over three weeks due to COVID. Uh, so it's good to see uh, Colorado State back on the floor. Hopefully USC can get back on the court as well. Uh, but yeah, Baylor's been the real sort of like not so much shocking in the fact that they're undefeated, but shocking in the fact that they're just this damn good yet again with all the talent they lost from last year's national championship team. Um, so I think that's that's probably uh, – that's that's how I see those last three undefeated teams. I don't think any of them have any chance of running the table. Uh, one way or another, they will lose, whether it's they just had a bad night or COVID riddles them to the point where they have to suit up a, a shell of themselves. Uh, but I, I think that's one of the, the big things is there are a couple of undefeated still out there as we enter conference play. Uh, 
one other thing, and I've kind of touched on it a bit as we kind of dive into the AP poll here, Villanova sitting at 19, nine and four record. They've already got four losses. Now, granted, three of them are to highly ranked teams. And the fourth one was a road loss to Creighton, who is a very, very good team in their own right. Um, they got some votes in the poll this week, uh, a whopping two, but that still means they're a top 35 team. So that's nothing to sneeze at. Um, so Villanova has uncharacteristically struggled in marquee matchups. And uh, I think as a result, Big East, the best team right now is your Providence Friars at checking in at 16. And yeah, they're, they're, they're not doing so hot tonight. Uh, but I think the Big East is wide open. And that I think that's because Villanova is just not their dominant selves. And because of that, nobody is in the top 15 from the Big East. So I think that league is wide open. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. Um, I mean, Providence record was just have the edge, but that's going to that's gonna drop off. They'll regress to the mean conference play. Does that to everyone in the Big East? And you're right about Villanova. They, they're not winning the big games this year. I don't know what it is, but you would have figured they would have been bound to win one of those three big ranked games that they had. They just couldn't pull any of them out. It, that's that's very uncharacteristic of a Jay Wright coach team. Um, to see them bearing that record this early, they can probably get back to what their expectation is if they start to dominate in Big East play, but that's very hard to do. Conference play always takes a lot out of teams. You always have a few unexpected losses, and they'll probably get pushed down to the six or seven line come any time with a lot of the other Big East contenders. That conference, I mean, realistically, anybody can win it. I, I don't I don't know about Marquette. They're not looking so hot. I know they're kicking Providence's ass tonight, but they're 0-3 in conference play, 8-6 overall. I think tonight is just they kind of got up for this game knowing Providence was a great team and Providence overlooked them after having such a hot start. Uh, but outside of them, it really is a wide open conference. Um, you got nine or 10 quality teams uh, that can, that can all make a lot of noise. Georgetown being the other one, that's probably not, not so great. Um, but yeah, I mean, top to bottom, it's probably the most physical conference in the country in terms of style of play. I, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of guys who are of that old school basketball mentality get inside, win the ball in the paint, win the game by winning the boards, make the extra pass, you know, stuff like that. It's not, you know, flashy like like the, the Pac-12 is, is much more flashy players. Guys who went to, what's the name of that place? The freaking Ball Brothers went to Chino Hills or whatever the hell it is. Yeah. So the guys who make the flat, like the flashy threes and the style points and everything else, you know, that's open too, but it's really only three or four teams that can win that. The Big East, it's deep. And there's a lot of, really good, not great teams that play physical basketball and it's going to wear them all down and it's going to affect their records, but it's going to make for a fun conference and an unpredictable outcome come Big East tournament time. Yeah. The Big East tournament should be a blast at MSG Madison Square Garden. Uh, having been there once, although that trip didn't go as expected for your boy, uh, that was a, a very cool experience. And that tournament is always super competitive. I mean, last year you saw it firsthand. I believe Georgetown won it as like the eight or nine seed. So uh, it, anyone, it's anyone's game in the Big East. Uh, another thing that I want to touch on real quick, uh, looking at the AP poll, one ACC team. 
that's Duke. And I think that'll change. I think North Carolina will find their way back into the pools uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, they looked really good against Michigan in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, but the lack of quality top-end teams in the ACC is is troubling uh, in terms of Duke's chances at getting a one seed because, yeah, nobody's going to fault them for losing a game or two here or there, uh, especially on the road with all the freshmen that they have and whatnot. But at the same time, like they, they're inexperienced for the most part. And they, there's just going to be so many sort of landmines in conference play that they're, they're not going to have those opportunities outside of maybe North Carolina to kind of have a showcase feature game. So the fact that they did what they did in the non-conference slate is is huge, uh, but I think that it's going to be really tough for Duke to get the a one seed come March if they don't pretty much dominate the ACC. Yeah, um, looking through the AP poll, I I'm used to seeing you know five or six ACC teams ACC teams in there. There's one. It's just Duke. They're lone wolves in the AP top 25 right now. That is, that's hard to believe given that that conference has been the penchant for college basketball success these past few years. There really aren't a ton of good teams. Virginia's taken a massive step back this year. They aren't showing nearly the same quality that they've shown in prior years. Florida State, another team that usually, they tend to make more noise in tournament time, but they don't look great right now. Um, Duke really does need North Carolina to step up, and they are, they have a good record at 10 and 3 but they had two ranked games and they lost both of them. And so it's hard to give a North Carolina team that's struggled the past couple of years, the benefit of the doubt when they didn't take advantage of their opportunities. I'm sure they will get back into the rankings and for Duke's sake, um, they need North Carolina. Duke fans actually have to root for North Carolina to be successful as as crazy as that sounds for their own self-benefit because if Carolina's bad, it doesn't help them because then they're either beating a crap team like they're supposed to, or they're losing to a bad team and it hurts their chances at a one seed, like you said. So in a sort of sick, twisted horror movie style way, you, a Duke fan need to root for North Carolina pretty much to run the table until they play Duke. Yeah. And I think honestly, if I don't say so myself, the likewise can also be said because if Duke were to fall off and fall off like into a, a pretty serious rut, like let's say they started like three and three in conference play and they start dropping towards the back at half of the rankings, like, yeah, that'll still be a, still be a marquee like rivalry game ranked matchup, most likely for the Tar Heels against Duke. But I mean, if, if they hit us a, a rut, then, it's not going to look as good for North Carolina to beat that Duke team. And that could be a win over uh, that could be a win that could change North Carolina's season. If Duke is somewhere in the top four, top five uh, when the time comes. So I think, like you said, in a sick twisted way, both teams kind of need the other to really run through the ACC so they can set up a pair of, big time matchups later on this season. Um, yeah. Let's, let's, let's deep d- dive a little bit deeper into our teams. Uh, let's, let's start with your Tar Heels, Mike. Like I know you've kind of scratched the surface on it, but like, give me a, a player or 
or something that stood out to you over the course of the season? I know I mentioned UNC's win over Michigan, a Michigan team that is rightly struggling and looks less impressive by the week. But that being said, that's still a good win at the time. Um, so what have you seen from UNC that you've liked maybe, or maybe something that you haven't liked? Um, looking at what I've liked, I've liked the leadership role Armando Bacot has taken on with this team. Former five-star recruit, he, start, he stuck around, hasn't had a ton of opportunities up till now, but he's taken on a huge leadership role, second on the team in scoring, first in rebounds, averaging just over 15 a game with basically 10 boards as well as one and a half blocks per night, um, playing really big minutes, 28 a game for them. Uh, he's been a crucial factor to their success. They kind of run, North Carolina's historically run everything through the inside game going back to the days of, you know, Tyler Hansborough, you know, God, what was that like 15 years ago now? That's what <laughs> weird to say. Um, but they had him, uh, Garrison Brooks recently, Luke May was their inside guy. Bakett's kind of taken over that role now. And he's been, he, he's been the X factor for them, you know, as he goes, North Carolina goes, when he doesn't go well, the team typically doesn't stand a chance at winning games, but when he's on his game, uh, they can play with just about anyone. Um, and on top of that, uh, Caleb Love, the only guy scoring more points than Armando Bacon. I'd like to see him pass the ball a little bit more. Uh, two and a half turnovers per 32 minutes is not, not great numbers. I'd like to see a little bit better ball control, but there's only so much you can expect from a college point guard. So, I mean, those two being the team leaders is crucial. Um, and I do like what I see from them, but what I don't like is the rest of the roster. It just doesn't have the depth that your typical North Carolina team does in terms of star talent. You know, Bakett's a former five-star, but he's a junior. Five stars who were juniors typically didn't deserve their five-star rankings. The true five stars usually end up in the NBA after one year of college ball. The third best player on the team is like RJ Davis or Leaky Black. Neither one of them screams third best player on a deep run tournament team. They're quality role players on a college team, but they're closer to Theo Pinson's guys who should be like the fifth best player or your sixth man or something of that nature. There's just not a lot of star talent and punch on this North Carolina roster. It, it lacks the quality and the depth of the teams that Roy Williams had coached in past years. And I know Roy Williams is gone. I understand that, but it's still North Carolina. They should still be able to recruit at a higher level than this. They should still be bringing in more talent than this. And I expect them to do that going forward because the team they're putting out right now, it's good enough to compete in a weak conference. It's good enough to get into the top 25. It's not good enough to be the top 10 perennial big blue that we're used to seeing North Carolina be. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that as the ACC slate kind of progresses, the Tar Heels will end up figuring things out. They'll end up with one of those double buys in the ACC tournament because there's just no depth in the ACC this year. Like you look, look around, like you were saying, and there's just with Virginia down, it almost seems like uh, almost maybe a Wake Forest is the third best team in the ACC with all their transfers coming in and playing at a high level. And yet Wake Forest lost their first, uh, I think they lost their first couple of ACC games. They're sitting currently at two and two uh, in ACC play. So they've, they haven't exactly been firing on all cylinders. It's tough to really pick out a team outside of Duke and North Carolina that could challenge uh, the throne uh, for the ACC this year. And that's just a shame if you ask me. Um, 
But if, if you were to ask me, Mike, the reverse for Duke, as I did you for UNC, uh, I think there's a lot of things uh, to be happy about and excited about if you're a fan of Duke basketball. Uh, outside, I mean, you've already seen that they can beat top elite caliber teams. They did it against Kentucky. They did it against Gonzaga. Then, of course, as soon as they get that number one ranking, one day later, they lose on the road to Ohio State. An Ohio State team, I will have you know, is surging and was who was unranked at the time is now all the way up to number 13 in the polls, having beaten not one, not two, but three ranked teams. So uh, that that loss looks less and less bad by the week. Uh, in terms of players, uh, COVID has gotten to Duke a little bit. They had several players and coaches in protocols, so they had to take the last week off. They're playing tonight uh, for the first time in a couple of weeks against Georgia Tech. They're, they seem to be handling their business. They're up double digits at home against the Yellow Jackets, so that's good there. Uh, but if we really, if I really dive deep into the, the players that have stood out to me, I mean, obviously you have to start with Paulo Benchero the super stud diaper dandy freshman. And he has been as advertised 17 points a game, seven rebounds, two assists, a steal and a block the turnovers. He's averaging over two a game. That could, that could be better, but he's also shooting fairly efficient from the field. 49% from the field, 83% from the free throw line. Three point is 33%. Again, uh, that's, that's a, that, that could be better, but like, at the end of the day, he has just been sensational. But it hasn't been just him. Wendell Moore, the junior who everyone that follows Duke basketball has been waiting on to take that leap and kind of play up to his potential, is finally starting to show it. He's also averaging 17 points a game, six rebounds, and he's averaging five assists a game. That is leading the ACC coming into this year, into conference play. So he has been outstanding uh, and very efficient uh, from the field, uh, in doing so. So I've, I've been very impressed by Wendell Moore's playmaking ability and his overall production on the court. Uh, and a couple other, other quick players. I, I feel like I have to at least mention, uh, freshman Trevor Keels. He's stepped up. He's playing the most, pretty much the most minutes of anyone outside of Jeremy Roach. Uh, and he's stepped up to be that third scorer on the team. Uh, he had that monster night, against Kentucky in the season opener where he dropped 25 because Banchero and others were cramping up. And I'm going to speak to that in a moment. Uh, but he, he's been the team's third scorer, and the efficiency isn't quite there, but at the end of the day, you just need somebody that can take the, the load off of Banchero and more on occasion. And he's been able to do that. Uh, and then Mark Williams, it it's, he's their starting center. And he's been uh, it's been an interesting season, Mike, for Mark Williams. He doesn't even play half the game, 19 minutes a game. I don't, I don't, I think that's been a, a product of kind of matchups, lineups, because it hasn't been foul trouble. And he has been very productive in those 19 minutes per game. He's averaging almost three blocks a game. The rebound numbers are not where they should be at. So he he's got to hit the glass harder. But when he's being the interior force that he is in terms of shot blocking and rim protection, uh, I'm not going to complain uh, as much about the fact that he's not scoring double digits or he's not leading the team in rebounds. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll live with it. But my main complaint with Duke, Mike, so far is conditioning. Every time they have played a 
good team, whether it was Gonzaga, Ohio State, Kentucky, seems like everyone gets a case of the cramps. I don't know why, because they don't do it in the games where they're playing the, the crappers and they're able to just rotate people in freely and not have to really worry about things. But whenever the guys have to play big minutes, seems like they always go down cramping. That If that does not stop, that is going to be a big problem in trying to make a run to a Final Four and a championship. So I don't know how you fix that outside of just <laughs> running more suicides or better hydration or what, but uh, that, that, can't, that cannot be a thing come March. Yeah, no. Um, conditioning being a concern for a basketball team is, <laughs> well, bad. Um, really, really bad. Like that, that is something, but if that's your biggest concern and not talent shooting or defense conditioning is one of the things you can work on. It is absolutely the, it is honestly, if that's your biggest concern, you've got a pretty good basketball team because all it means you need to do is just get in better shape. Means you got good basketball players who know how to play the game. who play well together as a unit. And like you said, um, Bunchero has been a superstar and more is finally taking that leap. So the leadership of those two for the Duke basketball team has, has really put them in a position to thrive this year. If if they can get their conditioning up, they've already beaten Gonzaga and they've beaten just about every other team besides an Ohio State team that was clearly underestimated by everyone coming into this year. So, you know, who's to say they can't make a run come March? I mean, they've got the talent to do it. It's just going to come down to how bad do they want it? And conditioning has a part to play in that. So time will tell with them. And I know you've kind of touched on your Providence Friars and their surprising start to this year, Mike, but what's one thing that you may not have touched on quite yet uh, that you really like from that senior uh, heavy group uh, down in roadie? Um, the one thing I like is the addition of Al Durham. Uh, he, he came over this year from Indiana, four-year player in the Big Ten, had had good scores experience, not sure what to expect from him because grad transfers are typically very hit or miss, but he's been an absolute hit for them. Jared Bynum missed a little bit. Um, I believe it was like four or five games with an injury and someone had to step into the point guard role and Durham is more of a natural two guard, but he he's an on ball two guard in the sense that he can handle it. He's just not best suited to bring the ball up, but he stepped in and he thrived and it allowed them to go with a bigger starting five uh, where Justin Manai was able to come in and bring his defensive presence to the three. No Horkler could play the four, and A.J. Reeves could slot down to his natural position at the two. Um, having Durham show that capability really opened up Providence's defense, which is what has been the driving force behind their hot start this year. They're only allowing, I think it's in the low 60s points per game. And while they don't score a ton, if you're not allowing more than 60-something points per game, you're going to win a lot of games in college basketball. That's that's typically a good calling card to have. Now, now given they've allowed... 60 like four as we speak tonight um and there's still halfway to go in the second half so this is really going to hurt their points against they're going to be 13 and two but they're still off to the best start in school history they've been a better defensive unit and now durham has really opened up things i i love what durham has brought to the table for this team hmm. and uh real quick got to shout out uh my local team the umass lowell riverhawks who get this mike they actually had the best record 
coming out of non-conference play in America East. Really? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Look at you go. <laughs> they, they actually had some half decent wins too. They won at Georgia, Washington. They won at uh, Dayton, a Dayton team that beat Kansas. So by proxy, so by, the transit of, by the transit of property, UMass Lowell has beaten Kansas. Exactly. Exactly. So I will scream that to the roof pretty much anytime now that we talk college basketball. Uh, but outside of that, they are still a, a complete shitter and they already lost the first conference game. So they're looking at the bottom of the standing. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. Anywho. Uh, I know we've talked a little bit about some of the surprises, your Providence Friars being one of them. Uh, but Mike, are there any players or any other teams that have, we haven't really talked about that have stood out or surprised you so far this season? Um, one that I have to mention is DePaul. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they've lost a couple now to start conference play but they won nine of their first 10 games. And DePaul's been a bad basketball school for a while now. Uh, They brought in a new coach this year. I think he came in from the Pac-12. I forget his name. But he's clearly had a positive impact on them. They look like they're on the uptick finally, given conference play will probably level them out to a nice even 500 record by year's end. But I was impressed. They have a lot of fight in them. They're, they're, They're showing more requisite talent on the basketball floor than they've shown in years past they're showing this willingness to compete as a unit. And, and it seems like the coaching change has a lot to do with that. I've been really impressed by what I've seen from them this year. Another team that, or, well, I've given you a team, a player that I think has surprised me and not in a good way is Chet Holmgren. We talked a little bit about Gonzaga, but we didn't mention his name once tonight. He was supposed to be the number one unicorn five-star player He's kind of just a role player for that team. He doesn't really, he does everything well, but he doesn't really do anything great. He's just kind of tall and lanky. He's like seven foot one flat Stanley. He's just taller than everyone. Like I, he has some good basketball moves. Yes. He's clearly got the capability to develop into a great player. And the raw talent is there because he's just so big and clearly talented enough to be on a division one basketball team. That's highly ranked. But the fact that he didn't step in and dominate right away and isn't necessarily dominating every night against poor competition, I don't know whether it's more he's trying to be, you know, second fiddle to Drew Timmy or whether he just isn't that dominant type of player that everyone thought he was going to be. Either way, though, I think it's got negative impact for his draft stock, and I think it's it's taking a little bit of the shine off of him as as opposed to what we expected to see from him coming in. Yeah. I, I, I tend to agree with you on that one, Mike. Uh, he's, he's shown the rim protection. He blocks shots like it's nobody's business. And he does do those unicorn things uh, that have earned him the reputation of being so highly touted. But it, the consistency just isn't there. Like, uh, I remember there was a game for Gonzaga where they're playing like freaking Tarleton State or whatever. And they only win by nine. And it's like a two-possession game with like a handful of minutes to go. Like, that's just inexcusable when you have the talent that they have over at Gonzaga. And the fact that uh, Chet has really hasn't had any monster games to speak of or any sort of like, uh, we'll say career defining games in college yet. That's, that's been a little bit of a surprise. Uh, the one thing I'm not entirely surprised about him is that 
uh, if you get the right matchup, you can just bully ball him inside. I've seen him on occasion, just teams just bullying him. If you can get a, a player with a similar sort of height, maybe not seven foot one or seven foot two that Shed is, but if you can get like a six nine, six ten guy that just has him a ginormous weight advantage. By I don't mean like throw a refrigerator at him, but I'm talking like you get a six ten, like two fifty guy that knows how to work the post on offense. Chet has struggled with that. And uh, that's something that's he's going to have to work on, obviously, as things go on. Uh, if if there's anything that would stop Gonzaga, it's it's honestly Chet not kind of uh, living up to his expectations, which, to be fair, it, I mean, they were stupid high. Uh, but at the same time, like if he's not playing as advertised, that at least makes Gonzaga a teeny weeny bit vulnerable because they don't have the shooting. To, to make up for that. Yeah, they're not they're not nearly as as deep as they were last year. Jalen Suggs isn't coming in to bail him out with 33 foot prayer heaves to get him to the final four this year. That's or to the national championship. That's uh that's that's not happening. So he needs yeah. to step up a little bit. I got a I got a pair of teams and a pair of players that I want to touch on, Mike, uh before we kind of move on and we give our picks for conference winners and NCAA tournament one seeds. Uh, two teams that have stood out to me and I've already touched on them a little bit, but I want to kind of go more in depth with them are the Iowa state cyclones and the wake forest demon deacons. Iowa state is interesting because they're sitting right around the top 10 in the poll. Uh, they played Baylor about as well as you could at home without getting the W they ended up losing by five. Uh, but they were picked last in the big 12 preseason poll. And all they've done is just play absolutely insane defense and mix that in with uh, efficient offense. They, they take a ton of threes, not as much as uh, their head coaches, previous teams. Uh, they're, they're working with uh, new head coach TJ and I'm going to butcher this Otso burger, uh, but he, he used to coach at South Dakota State and UNLV, and it was just rain threes from the sky. Uh, but now that isn't exactly the case. They're relying more so on the defense and mixing in three-pointers, and their transfers have really stepped up for them. They've got Isaiah Brockington, who came over from Penn State, and Gabe Kalsher from Minnesota. And they've... They've mixed it in with a, a solid recruiting class and freshman point guard Tyrese Hunter, and they seem to have figured it out. You know, lock in on defense and make the most of your opportunities on offense. The problem is, uh, they since they're not an offensive-minded team, they're vulnerable. And we've seen that in years past. Just all you have to do is think of Virginia, those dominant Virginia teams with their just, just suffocating defense but they stunk on offense. And so you're seeing, you would see them play games in the forties and fifties and they'd win most of the time, but all it took was one team to just kind of over kind of overcome that suffocating defense and do just enough on offense uh, for in Virginia to not do well enough to make up for it on their own offensive end for them to go down. And I think you can definitely see that in this Iowa state team. And for that reason, like I'm not quite sold on them yet because the big 12 is such a deep league. There is so much top quality, uh, especially towards the top. I think they've got six ranked teams currently in the poll uh, this week. And 
they're, we're going to feel, we're going to find out real quick whether or not they have what it takes to be actual players. Like they could be a team that finishes top four, maybe in the Big 12, but they could also end up tanking out if they are not able to keep things going the way they have so far. Um, so I'll be interested to see how Iowa State's uh, sort of surge up the, the rankings goes. One team that hasn't cracked the top 25 yet, but has looked pretty good so far is Wake Forest. They are very transfer heavy. Uh, they've brought in the likes of Alande Des Williams from Oklahoma, Jake Lavravi from Indiana State, uh, Dallas Walton from Colorado, Davian Williamson from East Tennessee State, Kadeem Sai from Ole Miss. Like, I know I'm just name dropping random names, but that just goes to show you that this wasn't like a recruiting class. This was, these were guys that the head coach, Steve Forbes, went out and said, This guy fits my system, and I think he fits our culture. And so far, it's worked. Uh, they're pushing the tempo, they're scoring, uh, they're doing very well at scoring uh, a lot of points a game. The problem is, uh, they seem to, they, they haven't really been tested yet. And they're like, like we've talked about, and we've kind of beaten the horse dead with the ACC is just barren with those opportunities. So we're probably not going to see what they're really made of until uh, they play a UNC on the road or a Duke team. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they fare in ACC play. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting to see a team that has so many transfers thrive in such a way as them. Because usually when guys come in from a lot of different programs, it takes them time to gel, come together as a unit, you know, get used to practicing together. But if they're just getting off to a hot start, I mean, and they're just getting their feet wet, they might be able to make a little noise. That might be your dark horse in the ACC that that gives Duke some fodder and some, some resume building. If they can crack the top 25, uh, you know, maybe get on a little bit of a win streak, you know, maybe even play Duke a little bit close, you know, then, then all of a sudden you're, you're talking about a team that could possibly be looking at somewhere between a five and an eight seed come tourney time, depending on how well they play. I'm sure they're probably sitting somewhere between like 25 and 60 at this point. They're in that tier two group, um, you know, but only time will tell with them. You know, that's, that's an interesting one. I, I didn't know Wake Forest was playing so well. I'm, I'll be curious to see how that, how that all transfer team or majority transfer team plays out because that, that's an interesting strategy to, to approach in college basketball. Yeah. It's, it's, it's always difficult, but it looks like so far they've figured it out. Uh, one more tidbit on those two teams that might show that maybe they are here to stay and, and legit. They both have very good quad one, quad two records. Uh, Iowa State, I believe, is four and one in quad one games and quad two games combined. Wake Forest is also above 500. They've got about four wins, I think, compared to two or three losses. So they've they've both done themselves well in their opportunities in those quad, highly valued quad one, quad two games. Uh, so if they're able to continue that, then, yeah, they might be a team that might slot in somewhere uh, in somewhere anywhere between that five to 12 range that could be sneaky dangerous come tournament time uh then there's two players and they're both big men that we got to show some love first oscar Tashibwe. i i have 
you know who I'm talking about, Mike. I know you. Yeah. The absolute monster from Kentucky. He, he played his first couple of years in West Virginia. And obviously those teams are, are very deep uh, and rotate a bunch of guys in and out press Virginia. But with Kentucky this year, he has flourished, Mike. He's averaging 16 points a game and a whopping 15 rebounds a game. In one game against Western Kentucky, he single-handedly out-rebounded the entire Western Kentucky team, 28 to 27. That is not a bad ad read. That is a legit fact of life. He, he At any time, he is a threat to, to get the offensive rebound, to clean up the mess on the boards. Uh, he's just, it's impossible to, to block him out because he's so crafty at getting positioning early and often. And that's shown in the fact that he's got nearly six offensive rebounds a game. Nobody else in America has more than four. So he, he is leaps and bounds better at this whole rebounding thing than anyone else in the country. And I know Kentucky lost again tonight to LSU, uh, but if Kentucky is going to be a serious threat, they're going to need him to be absolute dominant on the boards and clean house night in and night out. That's how they're, they're going to do it on the, on his back and shoulders. And then they're going to need some guys to step up on the offensive end. But man, if you don't love what you're seeing from him doing all that dirty work, I don't know. I don't know if you're a real fan of the game. And then, a name that I feel like people were talking about going into the NCAA tournament last year, but people really haven't talked about as much this year because he started the year suspended for a frivolous little uh, thing where he had some signed items uh, sold and he had to pay those back and sit out right before the NIL stuff went into effect. Uh, but Kofi Coburn, the center for Illinois, there was rumors that maybe he would transfer to another team for this year, uh, but he ended up staying. And while Illinois started the year with, with high expectations, I think they were a top 10 preseason ranked team. They're no longer in the rankings, but they're sitting at 26. So they're one spot out. Uh, they're, they're scratching the surface of getting back into the rankings. And that reason, the reason why is because Kofi Coburn is still dominating 22 points a game, 12 rebounds a game. They, they look, they've looked good at times, but they've also, they've also got three losses already, hence why they dropped out of the rankings. And some of those losses weren't great. Now, one of them was without Coburn, so give them a pass for that. But they have lost a game or two with him. and so. But they are they have won four of their past five. They're starting to pick things up. And if Illinois, they, they're also 2-0, and maybe 3-0 and in conference play. So they, they've, got, they've gotten off to a nice quick start in Big Ten play. If they're able to – if Kobe Coburn is able to just continually dominate, that league, Illinois will be a factor come the NCAA tournament time. I know that many people said that last year about a team that was arguably much better, but uh, don't be surprised if this year with expectations kind of curtailed after this kind of underwhelming start, if they find a way to, to kind of factor into the equation and Kofi Coburn will be the reason for it. Yeah. You know, I, when I saw Kofi Coburn for the first time last year, I was like, that is the largest human being I have ever seen. I mean, he is a brick wall down low, legitimately over seven feet tall. 
and I'm pretty sure they might list him at 260, but there's no way that man is less than 280 pounds of pure muscle and just strength. He he can just dominate 99.9% of the people in the country down low. And I think the 0.1% that he can't dominate is the other guy you mentioned, Shibui, who managed to out-rebound an entire team by himself because he's just that good at getting rebounds and he learned from the Bob Huggins school of sweatsuits and press Virginia and press Virginia that you just need to play physical to win basketball games. And he's bringing a certain edge that most Kentucky teams don't usually have. They're all flair and five stars and everything else. And he kind of brings an element of toughness inside that they typically lack. So those are, those are two really good players to watch out for. And I think they will be good guys come tournament time. And I actually have one more player for you, Ryan, to uh, watch out for come to any time. Okay. Walker Kessler, probably one of the least talked about people in the country, the former five-star from North Carolina, transferred to Auburn this past year. Kind of similar to Mark Williams. Um, Doesn't play a ton. Only plays 23 minutes a night. On the offensive end, he only averages 10 and seven and a half because he's playing with Jabari Smith, uh, that other big-name freshman that no one seems to talk about who's having a stellar year. But in 23 minutes a night, Walker Kessler is averaging 4.2 blocks per game. 4.2. 4.2. He had nine blocks in a game last week. Nine blocks, not rebounds, not assists, not points, blocks. That is so freaking impressive. Like to have guys consistently say, we're going to go to the rim and to him consistently say, I'm going to block you. And he still does it every Like there is a dominant presence inside that Auburn team. That creates so much more capability for the team to play elite perimeter defense and to focus on just limiting perimeter shots because they know that if the guy gets inside, he's just an eraser. He's like a Rudy Gobert-level eraser at the college level. He he doesn't allow anything. And to think if he were playing more minutes, like you up his minutes to what, like 32 a game, he's probably averaging five blocks. And that's what it's going to become tourney time. So, I mean, you know, for him to do that, he kind of puts Aubrey in a position to have to have some some success and make a deep run. And he's quite the impressive defensive player. And I think North, that's something that North Carolina is missing this year is a presence like his. Yeah, I think you can definitely make the case that they're the def- deepest team in the SEC. You can also probably make the case that right now they're the best team in the SEC with the way they're playing between Kessler, uh, Jabari Smith, like you said. And they're also getting Alan Flanagan back from injury. Uh, so... They're just a very complete team with a mix of veteran presence and high like NBA draft talent. So with those combinations, I mean, huh, man, that, that could be a, a dangerous team come March as well. Uh, as we wind down here, Mike, uh, I think we should give our quick picks for conference winners. If you want to add a note to each reason why, you're more than welcome to. Uh, otherwise let's, let's roll through these. So in the ACC, I don't even know if I should bother because I feel like we both have to say the correct answer. Uh, so I will let you start first with yours. Um, fuck Duke. Yep. That's what I figured. Uh, not even going to get upset about that one. Uh, I'll take it as you are picking North Carolina as you rightfully should. Obviously I will pick Duke because I don't think outside of any North Carolina, anyone can realistically challenge them. 
uh, as we move to the Big 12. I feel like it's a lot more wide open, yet there's a lot of top-tier talent in this conference. Who do you like to win the Big 12, Mike? You know, I hate to be the guy who goes chalk, but I'm going to go chalk. I'm taking the Baylor Bears. Um, You know, they've shown an ability to win those tough, close games against big-name teams. Ever since last year, they've they've been the best team in the country, and I think they've this team has a lot of carryover from last year's team in that it still feels disrespected by not getting this ranking earlier last year. And with guys like Davion Mitchell and Jared Butler moving to the NBA, that second group of players, Mike Meyer, um, Jonathan Chachachamwa, or I forget what his real name is, and Adam Flagler, they want to show that they can carry the mantle and be um, the best team in the country without all them. And I believe they got a, a pretty big name freshman in there too. I forget his name off the top of my head. Um, but, you know, on top of that second tier guys, they have all of them in there. And so, you know, with that momentum in Scott Drew's coaching, I, I just, I don't know if anybody can take them down. I, I like Baylor to not run the table. I think they'll lose two or three, but I still think they're the best team in that conference and they'll win it. Yeah. I I wish I could play devil's advocate here, but I don't think I can. I gotta I kind of have to go with you. Baylor has just shown to be too good. And that freshman that you're talking about is Kendall Brown. He's averaging 12 and four uh, and shooting very high. He's shooting 69% from the field, Mike. That's very nice. Very nice and very nice. And, so nice. But as he's doing it as a guard. That isn't a big man. That's not a center. That's not a forward who's just getting a bunch of dunks and layups. That is a guard. That's a six foot five guard averaging 69% from the field. He's almost nice. shooting better from the field than he has the free throw line. That, that doesn't make any sense. That shouldn't be a thing, but it is, uh, especially for a guard. Uh, but I am with you. Baylor has shown just too much that it doesn't matter how much turnover they've had from last year uh, until somebody in that league can beat them, uh, whether it's Kansas, Texas, Iowa State, whoever. Uh, it, it's Baylor's league to lose now. I'm sorry. The days of Kansas running that league, I'm not saying they're over, but Baylor is – Kansas is no longer the favorite. It's Baylor. It's Baylor's conference to lose. And so I will, unfortunately, join you in saying Baylor. How about your Big East best conference, Mike? You gonna roll with your PC Friars out of you know fanhood, or do you like somebody else? You know this one kills me because I hate their fans. I think they're arrogant, and I just despise the existence of this school. But I think it's gonna be UConn. I really do. <laughs> no. I, really, I, I don't want it to be UConn, but everything in my being tells me that UConn's going to come in and their fans are going to be really annoying and be like, ha, 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 second year back and we already won the conference. We're all better than you because that's just how UConn fans are. But, you know, the team I saw play PC had a lot of fight in it. They didn't give up in the second half. They were missing their big interior guy and that clearly affected the game. They have him. They can compete with PC. And if PC is the standard, that means they can compete with anybody. I, I Villanova doesn't have that killer instinct this year that they have had in years past. Creighton's kind of come back to the pack and everyone else um, is kind of on, on par or slightly better or slightly worse than Providence, depending upon the day. And 
I think UConn can be slightly better more consistently than they would be slightly worse. I hate Hurley, but he's a good coach, and I think they're going to win the Big East. Man, I now see now I have to play devil's advocate because I was also going to take UConn because I, like you, had a similar feeling of, yes, they're under a COVID pause currently. They've missed the last two games, uh, but they have shown in what games they've played in Big East play between Providence and Marquette and in the non-conference that this is a legit team. They have close losses to Michigan State and West Virginia on the road. They beat a St. Bonaventure team that was in the preseason top 25. They beat VCU on a neutral floor, and they have that aforementioned crazy win over Auburn, who just that that looks better and better by the day. Uh, so I think if UConn's able to kind of shake off any rust they may have from their COVID pause and get back on the saddle and get things going, uh, yeah, I 100% agree with you, but for the interest of this podcast, I cannot fathom this this whole agreement thing any longer, and so I will say Villanova gets their act together, cleans things up, and finds a way to post another Big East championship up in the rafters for them. Let's move on to the Big Ten. Mike, who do you like here in a very top-heavy conference? Oh, boy. Um, this is a very top-heavy conference. You know, call me crazy. I'm going to go with Ohio State. Um, it's Something about Purdue doesn't feel right. I mean, the one time they got the one seed, they immediately choked and blew it. Yep. I mean, that, 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 that speaks first time in school history, and their first thing, first thing that happens is they lose their one game of the year. To Rutgers. So, I'm sorry, yeah. but Rutgers is seven and five. Like yeah, they're it's... they're they're okay, but they're not they're, they shouldn't be winning that game. No, no, they shouldn't. Um meanwhile, Ohio State, you know, like you said, they had the win over Duke earlier this year. Of their two losses, they are two, they are at Xavier by six and at Florida by three. Other than that, they've won every other game. And yes, they've played a lot of close games, but they re they recently blew out Wisconsin by 18. They haven't been blown out at all this year. Um, and they're just a competitive basketball team, top to bottom. Uh, they don't give up. They've shown some fight. And in a conference like that where you kind of need that nitty-gritty, um, it's basically between them and Michigan State. And Michigan State also feels like perennial frauds to me. So a team that is willing to fight versus a team that's perennially fraudulent i'll take the team that fights mike i'm gonna stop asking you first because you keep taking mine uh i was also <laughs> gonna take ohio state ej liddell is a force to be reckoned with and when you factor in freshman malachi branham who just had put up 35 points against nebraska in their overtime win against the Cornhuskers, uh they're they're still down Justice Swing, uh, who's another versatile forward for them. So they're not even healthy. Uh, that's a team that has already shown that they can handle with the big boys and can beat them as well. And I, I definitely would agree to you on Ohio State. But again, for the sake of playing devil's advocate, uh, I will say that Wisconsin will find a way. I am with you in the fact that Purdue – for whatever reason, with two conference losses already, 
or yeah, two conference losses already. Just they've already lost to Wisconsin. They lost to Rutgers. I just don't like what I see from them in terms of being a top tier team. They're surely going to drop in the rankings uh, after the loss this, this month, this past Monday to Wisconsin. And I liked what I saw in the Badgers that game. They also won the Maui Jim Maui Invitational back in November. I know that wasn't as marquee as it usually is because Houston was the only ranked team in it, uh, but they still went out there and won it all. So they've shown that they can win away from home, which is always uh, a telltale sign that their brand of basketball can travel. And they've won two out of their three matchups against ranked teams. So I think Wisconsin is a team that we'll see somewhere near the top of the standings in the Big Ten by the end of the year, if not at the top. So I'll go Wisconsin for the sake of argument. Uh, I'm not going to let you start with the Pac-12 because you're probably going to take mine. Uh, So I'm going to get out on front of this one, UCLA. It seems like just because they've been under COVID pause the last couple of weeks and the fact that last year they had the the crazy Cinderella run and they kind of came from nowhere to be somewhere that people still aren't taking this team as serious as a threat as they should. And part of that is because USC and Arizona have really stepped up to make the Pac-12 a, a multi-team league, like a th- three really top quality teams in that league. But at the end of the day, UCLA has the track record from last year. They brought everyone back. And they, while they got demolished by Gonzaga, they have handled their business with everyone else. Uh, so including that victory over Villanova in a top four matchup. So I, I think UCLA with Johnny Juzang and co are still the favorites in the Pac-12. They just need to get everyone healthy and get back to playing games and in a rhythm. You know, this is going to shock you. I wasn't actually going to take UCLA. Ooh, okay. They're they're the chalk favorite there. I know that. But this is the one where I'm going different because there are a lot of good teams in the Pac-12. And the one that I'm going with is the Arizona Wildcats. This is a fun basketball team. They have a lot of talent top to bottom. And I think Benedict Maturin is a force to be reckoned with, averaging almost 19 points per game out of that guard slot, shooting over 50% from the field. Not quite as nice as Kendall Brown, we'll admit but still a very efficient percentage, over 30% from three-point range, and he's somewhere in the 70s from the free-throw line. He's a good lead guard. Uh, he's an absolute, ste- absolutely stellar athlete. They have some quality players around him, and I think they can give UCLA a run for their money. I think UCLA might have a tendency to overlook some of the teams in their path just because they are the odds-on favorite, and Arizona's not a team you can overlook. There's too much talent there. I think they could take advantage of that. Uh, vulnerability by UCLA, and I, I think come March they'll they'll come out on top and maybe nab a two seed. Ooh, okay, I like that. I like that. Uh, little teaser for our one seed picks later on. Arizona, a fringe candidate there, maybe in in your mind. Uh, but I, I'm just looking forward to those two teams squaring up, as well as their matchups with the USC. Because I want to see if USC and Arizona are the real deal. I think Arizona is. I think the jury's still out on USC. And we need to see UCLA get back and going after the COVID pause. Same thing with USC. And then finally, in the SEC, Mike, uh, I'm going to go with the team that just is clicking on all cylinders as of this very moment. 
I think they're the hottest team in the league. And I said earlier, I think they are arguably the best team in the league. And that would be the Auburn Tigers for most of the reasons that you stated previously. So I won't go ahead and repeat them. But I like Auburn uh, to finish atop the SEC when all is said and done. Okay, so this time you did steal mine. <laughs> I was going to go with Auburn. But because you were a good sport and played devil's advocate, I will pick Kentucky because I was in the same homeroom as Kellen Grady for three years in high school and he's their starting point guard. And so for um, camaraderie reasons, go Wildcats. Yep, uh, that's fair. I appreciate that, Mike. And uh, I think if we didn't at least mention Alabama and the fact that they are 3-0 and against ranked teams and currently a top 15 team themselves, uh, I know we talked about them a little bit as one of your surprise teams. Uh, they certainly will have something to say uh, when all is said and done in the SEC. Let's finally give some one seed predictions. Mike, I will let you start. Which four teams, when Selection Sunday is said and done, will have one seeds next to their name in March Madness? All right, so predi- conference winner predictions aside, because some of them were legitimate on my end and some of them were devil's advocate or passion-induced. Um, yep. <sighs> All bias aside, Baylor's going to be the number one overall seed in the entire in the entire field. They're not going to lose a lot of games this year. They're the best team in the country. I know it's chalk, but they've earned the benefit of the doubt, and they're giving us no reason to think that they're going to remove that benefit of the doubt. So they're number one. The next one seed will be Gonzaga because they're not going to lose any of their conference games, or they shouldn't because their conference is – quite literally a bunch of JV teams for them. Like the, these are guys who were on the JV teams compared to Chet Holmgren's varsity team in high school. They're going to win a lot of games. They're going to win their conference and they're a talented team. So they deserve one of those one seeds. The third one, and as much as I hate to say it, it's going to be Duke because they're the only team to beacon or not the only team, one of the only teams to beacon Zaga this year. They have the top end talent. It's Coach K's last year, so they're going to get a little bit of the sympathy card too. Not saying that will necessarily play in, but (laughs) it 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 doesn't necessarily hurt. They have one of the most talented players in the country. They have a deep team, and they've earned the right of respect as much as I hate them. They are one of the best teams, and they deserve one seed. The last one, it's going to be the Auburn Tigers. They are one of the top units in the country. The SEC is arguably the best college basketball conference in the country at this point. And whoever wins that should probably get a one seed because Kentucky, LSU, Alabama, there are a few, there are several really good teams in that conference. Um, And whoever comes out on top of those four, as well as the remaining teams, because Florida is always a good basketball team. I, I don't know the rest of I can't name them all off the top of my head, but it's it's a deep conference for college basketball. Auburn's a really good team. And if they win it, like we both think they will, they probably deserve that one seed. So those are my four. All right. I've got a couple similarities to you. I I've I've got like five in my head. And one of them obviously is very biased in Duke. But like I mentioned before, the ACC is just filled with landmines. And I know they handled their business tonight uh, with Georgia Tech. They won by double digits at home. But something just tells me that they're going to they're gonna slip up a few times. And 
I think that that'll put a little bit of a damper in the resume in terms of earning a one seed. And trust me, I wish I were saying that just to reverse jinx it so that they can get the one seed and, and whatnot. But that's how I genuinely feel about how the ACC shapes up. So for that reason, my top four are Baylor, Gonzaga, because I, like you said, I don't think Gonzaga should lose any game, maybe at BYU, if anything. Uh, but they should they should run through the West Coast Conference easy peasy. And without another loss audit to their resume, they have no reason why they would be anything but a one seed. So Baylor, Gonzaga, Kansas. We haven't really talked about Kansas a lot, but this is a stupid good team in terms of talent. I know they don't have like the top caliber NBA talent that they've had. In, they usually had, but they've got a couple of guys in Ochai Agabe and Christian Braun who have been incredibly good this year and have been shooting lights out uh, on top of it. So if they're able to piece things together, which they have for the most part outside of that fluke, seemingly fluke loss to Dayton, uh, I think that's another team where they're going to be top two in the Big 12. And with all the wins that they're going to rack up in conference play, I could totally, totally see them having a slightly better resume than Duke when all is said and done. And so I got Kansas there. And I also think Ohio State is a team that maybe isn't getting a lot of love in terms of a one seed because they're surely going to drop a few games here and there in conference play. But I like the brand of basketball that they've been playing. Yes, it pains me to say it because they did handle Duke and handed them their only loss of the season. But I just really like the resume they have to this point, and they have so many opportunities to uh, bolster it in Big Ten play. And I think they're actually going to take advantage of it. So I have Baylor, Gonzaga, Kansas, and Ohio State as my top four seeds with obviously Duke right there uh, in the conversation if, say, Ohio State or Kansas isn't able to dominate and run through their leagues. I like that. Uh, that's that's an interesting take. I mean, Ohio, Ohio State's a really good team, but that's a tough conference, already having two losses. You know, I don't know how many teams with four or five losses get one seeds. Um you know, given I'm used to seeing like the number one overall seed only has one or two, and Gonzaga is always a one seed, and they only have one or two. So, <laughs> exactly, uh, that tends to play. That tends to play out, but there are more losses early this year than we usually see. So, I do think it is possible. Um, I don't know that the Big Ten winner outside of Purdue can necessarily get a one seed. I think they'd all be on that two line. Um, same thing with the Pac-12 outside of UCLA. I think Arizona is a fringe one seed, kind of like you said, but I think they're probably closer to the top two seed than the number one overall, than like the last one seed. Yep. I, I think I think that three of the one seeds are relatively chalk. Baylor, Gonzaga, and Duke are easily predictable one seeds at this point in time. And with the potential for Kansas to steal that from Baylor, like you said, they only have one loss, loaded roster. Um well-coached team it's 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 easy to see them possibly switching places with Baylor and Baylor dropping to that two or three line so it's really that fourth one that's up for grabs and that could go to you know any number of teams if Ohio State gets really hot and only loses like one more game I can see them getting it um if Auburn you know were to practically run the table or something similar I can see them getting it 
UCLA does it. I could see them getting it. Purdue doing it. I could see them getting it, although I don't think Purdue will do it. Um, that's going to be the interesting race to watch because there are a ton of teams that, that could be in line for that fourth one seed. Yep. And there's still plenty of basketball over two months of basketball to be played conference championships in both the regular season and tournaments to be decided. So there's still plenty of time and opportunity for several teams to make the case for why they should be on that top line. Uh, but since we have gotten our fuck dupes out of the way, uh, it is time for us to sign off as we are well past the one hour mark here. So for little Mike, I am Ryan Brown. We will see you next time.